Bienvenue à l'Internet. Envie de la bibliothèque Marriott sur l'Université d'Utah. C'est le podcast de... Okay, yeah, no, we're not doing that. Um, fun fact, we have an English-speaking audience. Boring. I'm shocked. <laughs> I know. Surprising. <laughs> so, welcome to the Internet. Live from the Marriott Library at the University of Utah, this is the Red Line Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Dunstan, and these are my co-hosts... Kyle Holland and... Alex Fielder. Aujourd'hui, we're talking about the REM, Montreal's transformative new light metro project. We're talking about the CDPQ, elevated guideways, and much more after the news. This week, LA's Metrolink has opened a new extension on their regional rail network. The new Aero Line connects Redlands University in the city of Redlands to downtown San Bernardino. The line will run 23 round trips per day and is notable in that it is the first American regional rail line to use Stadler Flirt hydrogen-powered trains. Although the line should probably have been electrified, cough, cough, it's a big step forward for transit in the region. The cool thing about the Flirt trains, though, is that they're specifically designed such that you can switch the power source later. Yeah, because why build a good transit service once when you can do it twice? Exactly. So they're just flirting with whatever they're doing. They're flirting, they're with, flirting with power sources. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're flirting with electricity. They're not ready to commit yet. Wait, so why hydrogen? Though? Because it's supposedly because clean. It doesn't produce carbon dioxide when you burn it. And it doesn't have electricity in it. And since Americans have a phobia of powering our trains with electricity, <laughs> we use hydrogen to be, quote, environmentally friendly, unquote. So as far as the fuel, so as far as the, like, tier list of fuels that came out of the ground and then get combusted, or fuel celled in this case, we got diesel, we got CNG, and then we got hydrogen, which is kind of like the least bad of the things you can get out of the ground. Yeah, except that you still have to extract natural gas to get it. Well, that's why it's so convenient, and that's why it benefits the oil lobby. <sighs> can you synthesize hydrogen? You now? can, but At it's impractical. At extreme cost. Okay. At that point, just put put up the wires. Like you can just rip it out of the air if you want to, but it's very costly okay, to do that. Okay. And really, the only reason that hydrogen fuel is economically viable to begin with is we basically get it for free with natural gas extraction we're already doing. Yeah, it's kind of an accident. Oh, is that what's in the air pockets? Of it's it's along? It, okay. It's along with the natural gas. Okay. So if we had to extract just hydrogen and we weren't already getting the natural gas, then the numbers would probably work Being out in wicked favor expensive. of anything else. Hmm. In Halloween-related news, the mayor of Salem, Massachusetts, home to the infamous Salem Witch Trials and a popular fall tourist destination, is asking people not to drive into their city as parking is greatly over capacity. Instead, the state of Massachusetts and the MBTA are temporarily adding seven outbound trips from Boston's North Station and six inbound trips from Salem to Boston per day to accommodate soaring demand. It is unknown whether those trains will be catching on fire, and unfortunately, just like a ghost, this additional service will disappear once spooky season is over. Event service, but it's for all of for Halloween. Two weeks. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. That, that's actually kind of cool. I just can't I'd wait to see a crowded MBTA commuter ray train on the Salem line catches fire, kills sixty. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, Americans are good at fire escape technology. Yeah, because all <laughs> of our stuff catches on fire. Yeah. Huh. Well, 
I know. That, that's good. I'm glad. I don't see why you wouldn't take a train into Salem. That just sounds awesome. Right. That sounds crazy. Right, yeah. And good on the MBTA for doing demand response. This is something that a number of transit agencies, cough, cough, are not very good at. Yeah, being flexible is with your service patterns is definitely like a virtue that all transit agencies mm-hmm. should have. And a lot of them just don't. Because mm-hmm. believe it or not, people use these services, so it is possible to go over capacity. Interesting. It's it's like my it's my very favorite thing when there are jazz games on the weekend, <laughs> and instead of like running more service, what the UTA will do is chuck a third car onto the blue line and call it good. <laughs> wow. So you, you, know, you know, Connor, the funny thing about mass transit is that it works the best and it scales the it best scales. when tons of people are using <laughs> huh. it. Like literally the more people use mass transit, the better it works. Concept. So maybe we should take advantage of this. What a concept. We being the Utah Transit Authority. <clears throat> yeah, uh, once again I must state that this podcast is not endorsed or affiliated with UTA in any way. Yada yada yada, don't fire me. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Because, because what I have found out unfortunately from work as I was talking to my supervisor the other day, because, you know, well, as with most supervisors, you have, like, a monthly meetup where you yeah. talk about crap. And he's like, hey, so I listen to your podcast, and I'm just, like, dying. I'm like, you are. And and you can't see my facial expression here, but it's very pained. And he's like, oh, yeah, all senior uh, management staff at UTA have listened to it. And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> or not UTA, frontrunner, I've listened to it, and I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, uh, well, after you had your conversation with Bruce, who is the manager of, uh, of Frontrunner Operations, or not Frontrunner Operations, he's just the manager of Frontrunner. Frontrunner Operations is a different guy. But anyway, I had a meeting with him because he does a yearly meeting with all the employees. And I was, and he was like, hobbies. And I'm like, uh, hobbies, hobbies, hobbies that are acceptable to tell your boss. Uh, podcast. <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah, what's it about? What's it called? And I, and I tell him, and so now, uh, apparently, all senior management at Frontrunner has listened to our commuter rail episode. Oh, wow. Which is good, but also, like, okay, embarrassing. Then. <laughs> Slightly. For me. Yeah. Like, you don't have to speak to these people. I, no, I yeah. don't. We have it easy. Yeah. Like, there are only three people who listen to this podcast regularly who I speak to. One of them is Will. <laughs> One of them is Sam, although not very frequently. And then the other one is Heather. Yeah. So now I just have to be nicer on here because if I say bad things about my job, I can get fired. Okay, so we just do, like, respect uh, the labor law question mark. Um, so <laughs> Labor law? This is Utah. Oh, yeah, I <laughs> forgot. So we just do, like, the, the respectful constructive criticism or whatever. I have <laughs> never slandered UTA, and I will never slander UTA. No, we just ask them nicely to please run more service. Thank you. Well, it's not their fault. Uh, state legislature fix UTA stats so they can run more service. Yeah, Thank good you. plan. So, anyway, that's a random aside. Uh, this has been the news and random personal anecdote. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite segment. Ooh. Ooh. Make ghost sounds. Ooh. Ooh. Spooky train. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, yeah, on that note, you should listen to Ghost Train by Colorado Public Radio. Very good. Very good. What's it about? The RTD and why they did bad rail expansion. <laughs> cool. Yeah. The RTD and how they derail. Boom!
yeah, well, I mean, building a square around a parking lot for no reason, not one of their best moments. Yeah. <laughs> So, the question is, qu'est-ce le rem? What is it? What does it do? What, what is a rem exactly? Well, a note for the media trademark, uh, <laughs> the rem is not a light rail line. Uh, as usual, North American press can only conceive of exactly three types of public transportation infrastructure, light rail, buses slash BRT, and heavy rail subways. They do not seem to be able to grasp the concept that the rem is a metro, but smaller, and using catenaries. Whoa. I know. Like, uh, that's, that's not legal. So. <laughs> but fortunately, we have the term light metro, which incorporates mm. the light from light rail so that people don't get confused with this unknown new term. Unknown. Yeah. As if there hasn't been, like, automated light metro since, like, the 80s. The Docklands Light Railway. Like, it, it's been here. It's It's been existing, guys. So, the REM, or as its full name is, the Rousseau Express Metropolitaine, which means uh, Metropolitan Express Railway because everything is backwards in French. Mm-hmm. Um, That's weird. <laughs> yeah, that, Rousseau, Rousseau yes. is railway, Express is Express, and Metropolitan is Metropolitan. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Difficult to figure out, right? Mm-hmm. So... It's a new 67-kilometer-long automated light metro line being constructed in Greater Montreal to serve areas of the island and nearby communities historically underserved by the Montreal Metro. Well, 67 kilometers will make the REM one of the longest automated light metro systems in the world. And if the REM... De l'Est. The REM de l'Est. If the REM de l'Est completed, it would likely be the longest. Yeah. Uh, so, also, uh, they aren't kidding when they say express here because it's going to be 26 stations on 41 miles of track. So, Ooh. there's some, se- there, even even downtown, like, there's some pretty serious station spacing. So, well, yeah, big, big, big station spacing. Much regional, very transportation. Well, and you see, that's the thing, and I didn't write this down, so we got to talk about it now, is that ultimately the REM's purpose is to replace EXO, which is Montreal's commuter rail. Like, ah. so in in the far distant future, like, the grand plan is, hey, instead of our kind of, like, marginally crappy EXO commuter rail service, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to replace all of those with REM lines. Ah. Uh. All the while improving coverage. Yeah, also improving that, coverage. That sounds very, very good. Yes. Um, so, when completed, which it isn't yet, sadly... The line will run from downtown Montreal, where it connects with the metro at three separate interchanges, to three branches in the western suburbs of the city, and one branch in the southern, like, on the other side of the river suburbs of the city. Because Montreal is along the the St. Lawrence River, so, like, it's going to go over the river to the south also. And then over to the... Over a hundred-year-old bridge? Over a new bridge. I think it's underground there. Ooh, some high-budget stuff. No. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. They're, they're, <laughs> the, the REM is very innovative in terms of um, infrastructure usage, let's say. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, so map we got. I have a map. You guys can look at it. So it's kind of a weird-looking little guy here. Um, it's got, you see, three branches out here in the Western Islands, one to the airport, one to saint anne de bellevue and one to Deux-Montagnes. 
Uh, and then in the south, we have Reeves Sued, which I believe just means South River. <laughs> so there you go. That's some really good coverage for just one project. Right. And then you can see here these gray lines are exo lines. Oh. Um, there used to be one here where the Dues Montan branch is. And then these colored lines are the Montreal Metro. So they're going to put the um, the commuter rail out of service when it's completed? Uh, so the commuter rail currently actually runs where this goes. Okay. So the Dues-Montan branch, it, it EXO goes there, but it's actually out of service at the moment because they're building, you know, the REM on it. Mm -hmm. So Okay. All right. That seems more than fair. Yeah. And then, oh, and then the REM de l'Est would kind of just branch off from Gare Centrale, which is like the central station for all of Montreal, basically, uh, and go east, surprisingly, because it's... The Rem of the, the East. The Rem of the East, <laughs> yes. Uh, that's, that is a name there, that, that sure is. Well, you see, the thing about French is that everything has an article in front of it always, so... Rem the East? Well, it's Rem of the East. Okay. That's what the day is, so... Anyway, uh, that's, that's very off topic. Um... It will be fully automated, electrified, and grade-separated. Hey! Yes, good, right? We like those things. Yeah, those are actually illegal in the United States. Uh, hey, we have one, and it costs... Well, we'll get into that. We, to we talked about heart already, so... Um, <laughs> and, well, anyway, at peak times, it's expected to run every two and a half minutes on the downtown section. Dang! Two and a half minutes? Two and a half. Dang. And, it has, and the line has the ability to run every 90 seconds. Like, it's... Whew. This is real stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right? Like, uh, you can't see it, but Alex is just kind of making this, like, a gape face. Po podcast trip is probably going to be when this opens in 2024 is going to be our first major podcast trip. Because um, this would be a very good thing to cover. Because as we're going to get into, it's kind of the future of what rapid transportation could and should look like in the United States and Canada and the world, probably. <laughs> See, I'm just thinking about those two and a half minutes compared to our hour. Well, right. I mean, you just, even even on the Central Corridor where it comes every five minutes. On average. Even on our average, buses being 15 minutes. minutes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Just imagine, you will never wait for a train. I feel I like mean, you could just look down and a train would appear. And I mean, sure, to obviously to like one of the one of the branches. One of the branches, it goes like most of the branches, it goes every five or ten minutes. I that's think still See, that's still better frequency than anything we've ever seen. That's there's still that's very nothing good to complain about. Yeah, like, yeah. There's no complaining allowed <laughs> when if you live off the rim. Yeah, you can't argue. So, and this is actually going to be a, even a significant improvement on the frequency of current currently existing Montreal Metro lines, which generally run like you know, five, six, eight minutes or something. So, yeah, quite impressive. Cool. So they've just got, they've just got it together. Yeah. They know what they're doing. Yeah. But, you know, let's, let's talk for a second about why, besides, you know, super high frequencies, I don't think that there is currently a North American transit line that is going to be running at 2.5 minute frequencies. Because we don't build them in Maybe this Maybe SkyTrain could. Probably could. I think Seattle gets kind of close get, to it. The link does... The link does 10-minute frequencies on peak. Or, excuse me, 8-minute peak frequencies on peak. Jeez. Yeah. I remember it being faster than that, just because it felt fast. I know. Okay. 8 minutes feels fast. Yeah, that, that's, that's really fast. That's what, that's what fast. Yeah. feels like. <laughs> Two and a half 
Oh my god. And if this is the peak, imagine what the off peak will be. Uh, like five minutes. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> and it's going to be a 20 hour day operation. So you're getting like 4 a.m., or I think 4.30 to like 12.30 at night. Okay. So. Pretty standard. You're going to be able to catch a train every five minutes from. Holy hell. Yeah. 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 So. Are we going to have enough operators for this? It's automated. It's automated. Oh, I forgot. There's no operators required. So it's probably significantly This is why they can run so many. Well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with an operator because most everything is, you know, PTC or an equivalent system controlled these days. I I just mean if you crash into something, the operator is not going to get smushed like a sandwich. Yes, the operator will not be pancaked. Safer for the (laughs) non-person operator. This is true. I I wasn't thinking from that perspective. Um, But why does the REM have the North American transit industry so excited? There are a number of reasons. And probably the most, like, stunning one is number one, which is that it just has this incredibly cost-effective construction. So, historically, in, you know, aux Etats-Unis, aux Nord-Amérique, um, <laughs> in, in these countries, in North America, constructing new metro lines is just, like, prohibitively extremely expensive. Like, see the Second Avenue subway. We're going to spend, like, a billion and a half dollars a mile for this. Um, Los Angeles, we're going to spend $500 million a mile for this. The RAM has changed this. So the RAM has a total project cost of $6.9 billion. Or just over... Uh, 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 no, you're supposed to say the thing. Whoa! Nice. 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 Get it? Because it's 6.9. Nice. Oh. oh, yeah. Slow news day. <laughs> Um, or just over $100 million per kilometer. $160 million per mile for the Yankees. Yes, and that is... Really, really cheap for that what is, you're getting. That, I cannot describe how cheap that is for North America. Like Spain, which is the cheapest country in the world to build metro in, $60 million a kilometer. So we are, we are accomplishing just like so, 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 so cheap. Like there are light rail lines in the United States that are costing significantly more to build per, on a per mile basis than the REM. Like... Um, what is it? That new new light rail line they just approved in LA is like two hundred twenty million dollars a mile. So and this is one hundred sixty. And it's fully grade separated and has frequencies of every two and a half minutes. So, wow. Yeah. Right. Wow. Congrats! So, they've solved it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, how? If, if Hart had been built at that cost, um, like per mile cost, it would have run like a quarter of its current total. And it's not done, is it? Yeah. So that's nice. So also excited things. Uh, it's mostly in an elevated row. So everyone in North America has this like real obsession with building everything underground. Um, so building things above ground is actually kind of ooh exciting. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Also cheaper and easier most often. Yeah. Um, and then it'll have this incredibly high capacity like we talked about. So since it can run every ninety seconds, and I do believe once again. I may be wrong because SkyTrain exists, but I do believe that it is going to be the only North American transit line with a capacity to run every 90 seconds, which is, you know, the highest, like, theoretically possible frequency to run anything. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the trains have to stop. Trains do have to stop and signaling and all that. Um, trains with a capacity of 720 people every two and a half minutes on opening and up to 90 seconds. So let's do some math there. 
Uh, how many 90 seconds can fit in an, in an hour? 40. 40 90 seconds times 720. So uh, the trains will have the capacity to move 30,000 people an hour per direction, basically. Wow. Which is which is a <laughs> yeah. lot. Like tracks has the the entire track system has the capacity to move like what four thousand people per direction per hour maybe. Anyway, big moves, big moves. That's yeah. very high capacity, especially for like the size of the trains. Because we aren't talking like you know New York subway trains that are like ten cars long, like a football field in length. Like these are these are little guys like on heart. But also, like, extra wide, question mark? No, they're the same. Right. They're, like, normal metro width. They're just short. Oh, that's, okay. That's mostly where the light metro comes from, is that the trains are short. Oh, okay. So, gotcha. How many, like, train pieces? How many I don't know carriages? exactly. Um, if you want to see, like, what the REM trains look like, you can look up Alstom Metropolis, because that's the rolling stock they're using. Don't okay. tell me they're fully walked through, too. I believe they are. Come on. Also, tracks can be more like six to 8,000. Oh, okay. 12 trains an hour. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, those are nice. Yeah, so they're on the Amsterdam Metro now, and they are fully walk-through. Pretty. Yeah. They look They look fast. They look nice and speedy. Yeah, oh, I didn't ever look up what the top speed of the rim is. Well, well, uh, 62 miles an hour. Zoom, zoom. So yeah, that's pretty fast. It, is the cost per mile, does that include the rolling stock? Mm-hmm. It includes absolutely it's everything. Total, so that's everything. Total project, cost per, per mile. mile on a project always includes the total project it cost. It includes literally okay. everything. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. So and they have a lot of rolling stock. Though. They have, you, well, yeah, got it. You're running <laughs> thing, thing every two and a half minutes. Jeez. And then you have to have spares so you can uh-huh. do maintenance. Yeah, so... Big, okay. big, big moves. So that just that makes it more impressive to me. So also what's interesting is that this entire project took eight years or is going to have taken eight years once it's that done. That is incredibly fast so for from anything. Like, from like, hey, we should build this thing, let's do an EIS, <laughs> to congratulations, you're catching your 2.5-minute train from downtown Montreal to Duse-Mantin, um, eight years. Is eight that, years. Is that just because of willingness in, like construction politics and people want it? So the REM and this is very good segue Alex, the REM is actually um, being built in kind of a unique way. Okay. So normally what would you guys say the model for how a uh, rapid transit line in North America is built is? What, what do you think that is? The government decides they want to build something and then they contract it out to like 10 different companies and then maybe it opens eventually. Right. So basically (laughs) your local transit authority, which is, you know, a sort of interesting governmental organ. (laughs) Well, like it is like because an authority isn't like directly controlled by any of the other units of government. It's independent because it's an authority, but also it's part of the government. The the transit bone is connected to the (laughs) taxpayer bone. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So normally you're like, I don't know, Metropolitan Transit Authority or your Utah Transit Authority or your Kansas City Metropolitan Transit Authority, etc. Is like, wow, I sure would like a new line of X. I am going to raise money for this and then contract someone else to build it and I will operate this. Yep. So it's a it's a public-private partnership, but in the very traditional sense of, like, you know... The public The public pays. is paying the private to build the thing, and then we'll run it ourselves, gosh dang it. Yeah. Yeah. So, the RAM is a public-private partnership between the provincial government of Quebec, 
the municipal governments, which are called communes in French-speaking areas okay. of the cities it will serve, and the Caste de Pau et Placement de Québec, also known as the CDPQ, which is Quebec's pension fund. Hmm. Interesting agency to be involved in a transit project. Is it, though? So a pension fund in, you know, places that they exist <laughs> is effectively the government's largest form of, like, sitting cash. Ah. Like, because this is a government agency, so the government controls it, but normally the government isn't allowed to just have, like, you know, money and investments on hand. You're supposed to, Spend you know, it. budget. You're supposed to... Every single expenditure has to be exactly precisely denoted. Every single income has to be exactly precisely denoted. But if you have a pension fund, then the you pension can... fund is allowed to just go invest in like the stock market if they want to and just make money. But in this case, they're investing in a public infrastructure project, which I assume they'll eventually get paid back for. Yeah, so the CDPQ is contracted to build and operate the line and remarkably actually expects to make a profit off the whole affair. Huh. Like... Oh. They, they think that ridership may be high enough that they will just be able to make money off of the line itself. Cool. Like, this is, this is another reason why the REM is just, like, mind-boggling to the American transit mind, is that <laughs> transit does not make money here, and it hasn't since, like, you know, streetcar tycoons. <laughs> Automated wow. light metro tycoons, question mark? Yeah. That's, wow. Okay. So um, they have, of course, you know, because they're a pension fund, they have to guarantee a profit because you're not just allowed as a pension fund to just, you know, risk money aimlessly. So uh, if the line is not profitable, then the various governments involved in the project will be responsible for paying them the difference. And what's interesting is how this sort of arranges the carrots and sticks of the whole thing. Because what's the biggest problem with the average transit line in North America, in your opinion? it gets built as kind of a, like, penny-pinching, like, little starter thing. And then sure, that's a problem, but I wouldn't say that's the biggest problem. That what, what's the biggest problem in the United States for urbanism in general? Cause. A complete lack of will to actually build anything. Land use ah. around stations, right? Like, you go to your average light rail or metro station out in the suburbs, what's around it? Parking in a strip mall, probably. If you're mm-hmm. lucky. If you're lucky. If you're <laughs> lucky. So, you know, your transit service is going to operate the service there, right? Yeah. But the city has no incentive to, like, force it to do anything. In this situation, if the line is not a success, the city and uh, provincial governments Owes money. owe the CAS money. Potentially quite a bit. So it's in their best interest to ensure that the areas around these places are developed in a way that is conducive to the REM succeeding. And then they don't have to pay money, and instead they just get to reap property tax. Right. And sales tax and whatnot. And, you know, the same thing goes for the CDPQ. It's in their best interest to build and ensure that the REM is, like, you know, a good system. So they make money. So that people want to live next to it, so they get ridership, so they make money, so that, you know... So it, it arranges the carrots and sticks of the whole, like, building, operating, and making land use around transit program very good. What, what sort of evil transit genius came up with this plan? <laughs> it, it's a fantastic plan. It's a fantastic I, I, plan. I like that people actually believe in it, that they'll sink tons and tons of money into it. Well, yeah. That's, I mean, that's really telling. Yeah. So my question is, where else could this work? Because, like, obviously in the United States, we don't have provincial pension funds that we can just sort of use as a 
as an organ to build stuff, but like it's a model that could maybe be replicated. Like let's say, because we have a lot of private transit operators in the United States, like First Transit operates like probably half the transit agencies in the country. So what if like we're like, hey First Transit, we're gonna build this line and we're gonna pay and you're gonna operate it off your own expense. But if it doesn't make a profit, we'll pay you back. And so then all the municipalities it's run through are like, well, crap, we don't want to owe First Transit $40 billion at the end of X year. That's exaggerating, obviously. Let's make sure to develop the land around it accordingly so that our station is contributing its fair share so we don't have to pay the money. And then First Transit, in the interest of making a profit, not only <clears throat> has to make a good system, but is incentivized to do it in a cost-effective manner. Right, and to run service. Yeah. Yeah, because they need to run service in order to make money. Would people be that enthusiastic about that here, though? Americans really love doing things through private businesses, so I would say yes. Hmm. And this also minimizes the risks for everyone involved. Like, the pension fund in here is not at a risk of losing money. Worst case, they break, break even, even and they've gone through a big mess and a lot of work. But well, still and break you even. know, it's not a. And you see, the thing about the pension fund is that it's, you know, in the interests of the people of Quebec. So, regardless of whether they make a profit, they are still serving the interests of the people of Quebec yeah. by building a new rapid transit line. And then the municipalities are on the hook for a lot less money than they would be otherwise. Like, instead of going $2 billion into debt, they can just be like, hey, do this, and then if all goes well, we won't have to pay any money for it. And if stuff doesn't go well, then we'll be paying less money than we would have paid by going into debt. So is the only downside of this model that um, you can only build where it makes sense? Like where well, you could it possibly can, profit? It like, can always be made to make sense yeah. is the thing. By like, developing the land. Land use. Like this is how streetcar tycoons made their money. They didn't make their money off of like, you know, actually fares. They made their money off being given the land around the stations to develop. And then they made their money off that. And the transit was like a service that they provided to make the land that they owned and developed profitable. But what, what about, like, smaller towns? Well, and you see, I don't think that, like, you got to have a city of a certain size to justify that level of investment. Yeah, like, we're, we're not going to yeah. do this on a BRT project. Yeah. And we're not talking for inner city service. We're talking for, like, metro and regional style service. Yeah. Well, I like it. Yeah. I, I don't see much wrong with it. I think this is brilliant. Yeah, but Alex is right. It does have limited applications. Like you're not going to do this for, not going to do this for everything. Yeah, obviously limited applications, but there's still so many applications in so many cities. Yes. Yeah. Um. So, like we like we're saying, this is just sort of a, a very groundbreaking project. Um. Unfortunately, it has run into some issues. Budget overruns do happen. Yeah, that's kind of just yeah. That's yeah. Normal. And I mean, they're not like bad, but... They're not heart bad? They're not heart bad, yeah. Okay. So, COVID-19 and worker shortages have delayed work on much of the line. Uh, it was supposed to open this year and next year. It's going to open in 24 and 25 instead. So, that's a pretty big, you know, three-year-down-the-road push. Um, Doing way better than heart. Yep. Yeah, and then also, the so, like I said, they're reusing a lot of existing infrastructure to save money. Mm -hmm. um, so, the Mont Royal Tunnel has run... It's Mont Royal, not Montreal. Um, 
uh, which runs under downtown Montreal, uh, when they were doing some like renovation work, because you know you can't just use this ancient tunnel for the rim, you gotta make it different. So they were doing some drilling and stuff, uh, and it kind of blew up because there were some old explosives left in the walls. So <laughs> who hides explosives <laughs> in the walls? Is that just undetonated explosives from the original construction? Well, they well, were. Yeah, and they. D- yeah. d- 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 <laughs> okay. Jeez. That sounds like so a that, mess. So that sort of delayed stuff a while as well. So w- would that cause them to, like, survey the rest of the tunnel and make sure? It did, and also they started, um, they brought in teams to do it remotely instead so that they okay. wouldn't blow up any other workers. <laughs> yeah, understand. Yeah, kind of bad yeah. press to blow up one of your workers. Um, <laughs> yeah. I still can't get over there being bombs just hiding in the walls. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what the hell? Well, well, that's I, not too crazy, though. I think they were from when the tunnel was originally built. I mean, it's that, just a prank, bro. That makes what sense What if we prank me, people right? in 100 years by leaving bombs by in the walls? By leaving high explosives in the walls. Prank <laughs> gone wrong, question mark, question mark. Yeah. So... Delays, overruns, but Not in the bad. grand scheme of things, nothing Well, the crazy. funny thing is that after the delays and overruns, we get the $6.9 billion figure. <laughs> So, um, oh, okay. So after the delays and co- over cost overruns, it's still probably the most cost-effective rapid transportation project in North America. Like, since World War Two. Yeah. So, so they're keeping the existing track, right? Or is it just they're replacing everything, keeping the original tunnels? Well, they're such? keeping the right of way. Okay. But you can't run like rapid transit service on old railways on old so rails. So they're actually scrapping it, but keeping the. The right of way is what matters. Okay. Because, like, you know, actual rail and track is actually not that expensive. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just concrete and steel. Yeah. And that's, like, it is expensive, but it's not that expensive. Normally, where the big expense in building these sort of things comes from. Where are you going to put them? Where are you going to put it? You got to, oh, we got to dig a new tunnel, and that's Mm going to cost us $40 trillion. We got to do elevated viaduct over farm fields on Oahu. That's going to cost us $60 billion. (laughs) Yeah. And it also saves you, especially when you're building in the city, from doing, like, land acquisition or anything. Okay. Yeah. It makes so, it a lot less of a pain for everyone. So one of the big costs is just negated then. Yeah. Basically, how the REM kept costs down is sort of the model of how transit activists have been yelling at people to keep costs down for a long time. <laughs> and that is, number one, do not dig new tunnels. Like, new tunnels in North America are just so expensive like like we said the you know second avenue subway billion and a half dollars a mile the purple line extension or i guess that's the what um the d line now the d line extension in los angeles 500 million dollars a mile instead use the existing tunnels and then supplement with like some viaducts yeah only dig a tunnel if you just like absolutely have to and that was sort of the REM's, like, modus operandi. That's smart, especially because it's a more regional service. So it doesn't matter, like, exactly where the tunnel is through downtown. Right. And then, um, additionally, you know, it reuses all of these other right-of-ways, like, you know, the, the early light, r- light rail lines did. Like, you know, Portland's Blue Line, that follows a freeway. San Diego, that follows a freeway. Ours in Salt Lake follows an old uh, freight rail right-of-way. Um, who else does this? Denver, basically anybody you think of who's built a light rail line in the last 40 years 
How do we keep costs down? We're going to follow this other right of way. Which is a great idea, and it works great for light rail. Right. But not normally something that's applied to metro systems Not something here. you did with metro systems. And now but it is. The REM uses this old rail right of way, which was used for exo commuter trains and freight. And then sometimes it runs in the middle of a freeway. And then and they just go ahead and take the right of way and then grade separate as needed. Yeah, like spot grade separation yeah. instead of... Instead of heart. Instead of heart, we're going to put, you know elevated metro track over a field. So, yeah. like, if you had a grade crossing, they'd just go sit down and, like, do a bunch of digging and then get Yeah, normally get on they just life. dig the road under the under the train is what they're, they've are they been doing in Montreal. Or over okay. the train or, you know, you, you can do it either way. But, like, yeah. y- you're not... You're not grade separating the whole thing. You're grade separating it where it needs to be grade separated, which <laughs> is at places where it conflicts with other things. Understandable. So they've just done it cheaply and smartly. Yeah. Now, well, on the smart design, which is like, you know, once again, taking advantage of this old tunnel, which is just like kind of a, you know, miracle that that exists because, and that's one reason why it would be difficult to replicate this specific model in other cities, but you could just do elevated through downtown and that would save the money. This is, this is true. This is Um, very true. (laughs) Anyway, but yeah, the smart design to just like not... Not literally, not literally just waste tunnel money. everywhere. Yeah. yeah, not literally just throw money into the national money uh, fire or whatever. <laughs> the, money the, pit. Money pit. <laughs> the money pit. The money pit. Yeah, <laughs> like they didn't. They didn't just take a few dump trucks worth of hundred dollar bills and dump it in the money pit. Well, uh, you can't close the money pit. <laughs> <laughs> it's an American tradition. Um, yeah, so. It's just smart design leading to low costs and effective... Yeah, smart design, smart um, arrangement of the carrots and the sticks. Kind of they uh, they did everything right sort of situation. Okay. Yeah. Good on them. Um, yeah, okay. And then actually, you know, so this project isn't open yet, right? And it's not going to be open for a couple years still. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so successful already that a uh, expansion has been proposed. <laughs> Already, <laughs> it's successful without anyone riding it. It's successful without anyone. It's so successful without anyone riding it. Oh my that, gosh! Uh, the Rem de l'Est, or the Rem of the Rem, East. It's just well, if you were English, you would just call it Rem East, probably. But um, it, it would take an additional thirty-six miles to the east of the island. That is a lot of miles. Or excuse me, kilometers. That's a lot of kilometers. That is yeah. a lot of kilometers. <laughs> um, guess what? Using an old railway right of way, whoa, and then doing elevated through downtown sections so that you know we're not building a new tunnel. Whoa, I, that sounds like a model that would be applicable to like everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> yeah, so I I can't believe that the expansions before anyone's written it. Well, That's and you see, this expansion, the Rem de l'Est, has actually run into a bit of trouble because. Guess why it's running this trouble. Don't look at the thing. Just guess. It costs a lot of money. No. Um, It'd be loud. It would destroy the NIMBYs? value of the NIMBYs. neighborhood. NIMBYs. NIMBYs. <laughs> so, so the elevated section was going to run down this, like, what I would classify as an urban strode. Okay. Like, six lanes of traffic in either direction. So oh, maybe geez. not a great experience for the transit users. Well, the road was going to be changed into being, like, a two-lane road with... 
the rim, you know, running on one side of it with like a linear ah, park underneath it the whole way. Whoa. But you nice. see the NIMBYs, of course, have complained, this is just like building a freeway and urban renewal and yada. So, you know, they made a whole bunch of fuss over it and now it might be um, not doing that. And, you know, the design was specifically made to be like compatible with the area around it. Like it was meant to like evoke a boat or something. It had like really cool (laughs) sound barriers and stuff. Explicitly designed to like not be like an expansion. Like they're just doing it in, in the road right of way. Right, they're like specifically it's specifically designed to like minimize impacts if on the anything, around it. If anything it's an improvement it. in the impact on well, areas since around it. Well it was it. on a 6 lane road. That sound, it sounds amazing. Yeah and it is and it's really well designed but all the old people in the neighborhood came out and got mad about it and now it's probably going to not run into actual downtown Montreal and is instead oh. going to end at the eastern end of the Green Line and force a linear transfer. Uh, Are they going to, like, plan it in such a way that they could eventually bring it into downtown? Well, because the NIMBYs don't want that. Maybe in, like, 20 or 30 years. Like, it's just assuming that the people who live next to it are not going to benefit from it in any way, which is an interesting concept to me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's not like there's going to be no stations. Anyway, there's still an ongoing fight over this at the moment that's going on, and they're trying to, like figure out if they can make a way to keep it cost-effective while building it in the relatively same alignment. So, it's an ongoing thing, but, yeah. Oh no, a train in the road. Scary. (laughs) Without also expanding the road. Ah. Terrible. I'm surprised people didn't eat up that green space that they would have had. I know, right? People love green space. I know, but Nimby's gonna Nimby. Yeah, there's NIMBYs everywhere, even in heaven. Transit heaven. Yeah. Uh, Montreal, maybe not transit Mm. heaven. North American transit heaven. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Like, come on. It's it's among (laughs) it's among the places in North America where it is, you know, easy to not drive. Yeah. Let's say in three years when when the project's done. That'll be even more in three years when the project's done because the Montreal Metro already pretty pretty great. Yeah. Like, it's like the Paris Metro was kind of just like, you know, you took a slice out of it and plopped it in Montreal. But so it, it has still wheels, right? No. Nope. It, it, it's it has, it has the weird rubber wheels. Oh, okay, like, so uh, it is, it is the it, Paris Metro yeah. taken out, isn't <laughs> it? There's nothing wrong with rubber tired metros, Kyle. Yes, there are. It's, no. ju- it's just funny. It is it's a little just funny. funny. It does exist for a reason. What, does it have weird steep hills? Steep grades. Uh, See, that's fair, but, like, it's just funny. It's just, it like... Funny. And the funny thing is it still has steel track and steel wheels for guiding the uh, thing. Plus uh-huh. the extra electricity rails. Yeah, plus the electricity rails. Six so rails. It's pretty special. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, I, it's still still transit, still isn't based. it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so... In conclusion, North America and the world need a lot more automated light metro lines because we have this great thing called climate change and needing our cities to not just be car sewers that we have to do. So the REM provides a cool and excellent model of how this could maybe be done cost-effectively. In real life. IRL. Tomorrow. Well, yeah. let's make it happen. Yeah. Cap'n. Cap'n. <laughs> yep. Uh, merci par... Uh, écoutez oh, le podcast de l'Anglouche. Savez, like, subscribe, and leave a comment on YouTube. And to follow and leave a rating on iTunes and Spotify. Or Spotify. <laughs> also, make sure to follow us on Twitter for many urbanist hot takes and visit our website at trlpod.com. We'd like to thank our patrons. 
at $10, Curtis Herring, Mike Christensen, and Phobos2390. At $5, Red Line Tier, Brian Smith, Jacob Whitecotton, and Robert P. Walsh. And Blue Line Tier at $3, we have Ben Boussath, DJ Will Watkins, Hi, Will. Ethan McDonald, and Martin Hocker Martinez. Thank you for listening. All proceeds of this podcast are all rights reserved to the Red Line Podcast LLC Incorporated. Ah, uh, yes. News trademarked. Trademarked. <laughs> <laughs> we know how that works. Yes, 100%. <laughs>